Hi, I'm Cameron. And I'm Dominique. We both work for Starting Right Now, also known as SRN. A lot of times, homeless youth are spoken for. Often, people assume what homeless youth would need, and I want homeless youth to be able to speak for themselves. We're getting ready to blow up the best kept secret. Beautiful, unaccompanied youth. On this episode of Raising Me, we're talking with Taylor. After we got that message, we drove to the Ocala Sam's Club parking lot, and within minutes, there was like seven police officers that surrounded us. I've hurt, but it made me who I am today. Now through trials and tribulations, I still celebrate. Cause I'm starting right now. I'm starting right now. Sixth grade is kind of where it all went downhill. Um, I started at Burns Middle and then I went to Bell Shoals. And then in seventh grade, I started at Grace Christian. But then I went back to Burns and finished eighth grade there, which is, was really weird because I started sixth grade at Burns and then I ended at Burns in eighth grade. So it was kind of like, hi, bye. Mm -hmm. um, and then for ninth grade, I started at Brandon High School. And then I switched um, to Bloomingdale High School that same year. And um, midway, I actually dropped out of school. And then in 11th grade, I went to Lando Lakes High School and then for 12th grade, I graduated from Durant High School. So I don't know how many that is, but. Okay, already I have number. a lot of questions. Correct. Well, the <laughs> obvious question, what started in sixth grade that caused all of this fast-moving, fast-paced lifestyle? Well, um, I think backing up a year, fifth grade was probably one of the main turning points um, mm -hmm. for stability in my life. I had a couple family members that were arrested with um, like getting involved in a custody dispute with my younger brother and sister. So that kind of led to some violence in the household and whatnot. So we moved out of our house that we had been in for a couple years. Um, and then from there, it was kind of like rental house after rental house. So there was no like permanent placement. Why wouldn't y'all just go to a rental house and then be at that rental house? I guess one thing is my mom never worked mm -hmm. the whole time that I lived with her in my childhood. Um, she never had a job. So we kind of lived on like child support, I guess you could say, um, from my father and then from my little brother and sister's father mm -hmm. as well. So that was really the only source of income. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we kind of just went where we could go. Do you know why your mom was not working? Um, I know that my mom dropped out in middle school. And so she never went to high school and she didn't graduate. Wow. And with that being said, my mom also got married a lot. Mm -hmm. So that kind of was part of it too. Like she found shelter in men. So it was one marriage and a divorce and then a marriage and a divorce and a marriage and a divorce and a couple more. When you so say a lot, yeah. <laughs> what, can, I, can I give a number? I um, mean, you, you just kind of casually named like four or five. But was um, it, was to my real? knowledge, my mom has been married about five or six times and she wasn't married to my dad either. So he's in the mix of that too. So the constant movement wasn't just from the lack of finances, it was from her being married and then divorced. True. Yeah. I'm wondering, I'm not no, it, yeah, saying that. It is fact. true. It is true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what changed, like what happened in 10th grade that made you drop out? Now I'm fast forwarding. So, <laughs> um, so my mom, so that, like I said, the custody battle was going on with my little brother and sister. And so um, my mom was trying to fight for full custody. And 
with that. My mom was going to a lot of appointments and lawyer visits and stuff like that. So she wanted me to stay home with my brother and sister to watch them. It definitely wasn't my choice to drop out by any means, but that's that's just what happened. So my 10th grade year, I went for a couple months and then I didn't come back after Christmas vacation. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, just based on what you said, somebody might have a hard time understanding how you guys have difficulty paying to stay in a place, but she can afford a lawyer for a custody battle? Yeah, um, so I have some people in my life that I call like my adopted grandparents. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of helped her with that retainer or whatnot. But weirdly enough, there was problems with that too because my mom kept jumping from lawyer to lawyer. Um, so she'd like pay the retainer for one and then she wouldn't like the outcome. So she'd blame that lawyer and then she'd go to another lawyer. So it was just a lot of um, appointments and back and forth. And were you in contact with your dad at all? Um, no, so I've never met my dad. Never met your dad. Mm-hmm. But the person she was fighting with was the parents of your younger siblings. Yes. The fathers mm-hmm. of your younger siblings. You made some comment just now about your mother finding security in men or something with regard to the marriages. Do you want to say more about that? I don't know. I can, the first example I jumped to is like the most crazy time that I think my mom ever got married. Even then I was like, what are you doing? So I guess to go a little off topic. Um, so my brother and sister were actually taken away from my mom um, when I was in 11th grade. Your younger sister. Mm-hmm, my younger brother and sister. So when I was in 10th grade and my mom had me drop out, my mom decided that we were going to move to Pasco County because my younger brother and sister's dad um, had a lot of friends that were on the police force. Um, and so my mom had like the constant worry that no matter what was going to happen, she was going to be framed for this mm. or like they were going to come and harass her or they would just show up at our door and knock on it and try to start stuff. So my mom had this plan that if we moved to Pasco County, then everything would be better. You're and saying after your younger siblings were removed from the home? No, so this is before. Okay. Um, and so we got to Pasco County and we moved to Land Lakes. I started my 11th grade year because, and I, I was like, please let me go back to school. So I started there and we took a trip to North Carolina in 2011. And I guess my mom wasn't supposed to take my younger brother and sibling out of the state. As we came back, we were traveling back into the state of Florida. My mom received a phone call that basically said that if she didn't go to the nearest police station that they were going to put an Amber Alert out for her arrest because she was fleeing the state with my brother and sister. So after we got that message, we drove to the Ocala Sam's Club parking lot. And within minutes, there was like seven police officers that surrounded us. Um, I actually was the one who listened to the voicemail because my mom was like, her phone rang and I was like, Mm -hmm. mom, your phone. And she was like, oh, it's fine. And she got a voicemail and I was like, I literally said, can I listen to this? And so I just listened to the voicemail and then I was like, started crying. And I like gave her the phone. Um, The first thing that happened was they took my mom out of the car and put her in the back. So um, I had my little brother and sister in the car and they were screaming, of course, and crying their heads off. And I was 17 at the time and I did not have my driver's license. Mm-hmm. So all I was just sitting there thinking was like, what's going on? What's gonna happen to me? Like, where are my brother and sister gonna go? I can't drive, I'm mm-hmm. in a car, <laughs> I'm in Ocala. My mom's gonna get arrested, like, what's happening? So we waited there for a long time and then finally someone came. I guess now it was like a DCF worker, they called our social worker at the time. And so they let my mom out of the car and so she got back she came over to us and um, she basically said that my brother and sister were gonna leave to go with the social worker or DCF lady um, and that they were gonna go stay with their dad and that he was awarded temporary like emergency custody of them. 
because my mom left. Um, they literally would not let go of my mom's leg. Mm. Um, so they were just like sitting there attached to her crying and crying. And I don't know, it's all crazy now. Mm-hmm. And back then, I, you know, I believed everything my mom said. So like as an adult, I look back at all these things and I just realize a lot of them don't make that much sense. If, if this DCF worker is, is claiming that there's just reason for your younger siblings to not be with their mother and to put them in this new home, why would they not feel the same way about you? Like, why I, would they just... Yeah, just I've sort- always wondered that. That's actually one of the things that, like, I used to talk to Vicky about, that, like, I always thought in my head, like, why why couldn't they take me? Like, why didn't they? Like, how come they chose to take them? You know, why was I not? Did you want to be taken away? It seems confusing, because, like... Like, I think about it back then, and, like, I didn't know any better, but as an adult, you know, like, yeah, I was 17, and my protective factors were a lot higher, because I could, you know, take care of myself, and... Yeah, what, more than your younger siblings. Right. Yeah. So like, it makes sense why they wouldn't feel that way, I guess. But at the same time, I didn't understand. When you say that you would talk to my mom, Ms. Vicky, about this, that situation and not being removed, what parts were you wanting to talk about? Well, like, it just reminded me, like, even when I was in high school, like, DCF would come, CPI workers, and they would talk to me. But there was never a time where I could be honest or truthful about what was happening in my house out of fear for what my mom was going to do. So it kind of stemmed back to that, that when they, you know, this finally took place and they were placed with their dad, like I was still left in that household alone with my mom now at this point. So, and that kind of leads me into the marriage topic that we were talking about because um, my little brother and sister were placed with their dad in January and I stopped going to school again because my mom was crying every day. She was depressed. Um, She didn't want to be alone. She just always repeated during that time that like she had no more reason to live and like they were her her life. So I stayed home with her a lot. And then my mom got this genius idea that she was going to online date and that was going to make everything better. So my mom joined eHarmony and she started dating this guy and they literally got married within four weeks. Wow. So we moved in with him what? Whoa! <laughs> right away. So we gave up our rental house again, and we went and moved with this man um, who we knew less than a month. And you said at the start. You didn't of, know him at all. He's I, a stranger. A complete stranger. Correct. Four harmony. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. Um, but you said at the start of telling this story that you questioned that decision even then as a 17-year-old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So you're in 11th grade and your mom marries Mr. E. Harmony. Mr. E. Harmony. And are things in harmony? No. No, he was so nice, actually. He was really nice. Um, but as you can imagine, he kind of quickly found out that things weren't what they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that being said, within six months, we were kicked out of Shut his house. Shut the front door. Oh, wait, he found out that things were not what? Um, he didn't know what happened with my brother and sister. He had this vision that they were going to come and live with him and that they were going to be a happy family and just that my mom was this amazing woman that I don't, I don't really know, but they you had this. For four weeks. That's weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? And so, they yeah. were married in March and my brother and sister, that all happened in January mm-hmm. and that was that. It was so quick. And so then you move in. Six weeks later, mm-hmm. y'all move out. Yep. Six um, months later. No, six weeks. Oh, no! He said six months. Six weeks. So once again, we were homeless. Like, sometimes we'd just sleep in our car or in, like, the McDonald's parking lot. 
4th of July weekend came of my 11th grade year. And um, she said we were going to go stay with one of her friends in Sarasota. And so we drove up there. And I just remember being introduced to all these people. And we were going to stay there for the weekend. And my mom took me to the store. And I remember getting so mad because she went to the store and she was buying wine coolers. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, we have nowhere to live. Like, you're getting child support from my dad. And like, we have nowhere to go. We don't have a roof over our head. Like, and you're buying alcohol. Like, are you kidding me? I was really angry. And so we went back to the house where we were staying at or whatever. And I just plugged in my earphones and was watching Netflix the whole time I was there. And at some point during that night, like I went to the kitchen and they were all drinking. And then one of my mom's friends was like, Taylor, you want to have a drink with us? They like looked at my mom and mom was like, that's fine. And I just like lost it. Like I got so angry and I like yelled and I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, and I like walked outside and slammed the door. Mm -hmm. And I just started sobbing and I actually Mm -hmm. called my sister and I told her that I was done, that I was leaving. Like I was not staying here anymore. So she actually came to come, she got me. She drove to Sarasota and picked me up. So that was how I left my mom. And um, the next day I woke up and she had called me like 200 times. Um, and they're all threatening things like, I'm going to call the police on you. You know, you need to come back home with me. Like, what are you doing? I'll be there in da 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 minutes. Just all these messages. And she was obviously not happy, but what was I supposed to go back home to? Like, there was no home. So what do you mean come back home with me? So my sister agreed to let me stay there. So your older siblings were established in their lives. Yeah, my oldest sister, she was... Um, dating someone who's not her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they let me come stay at their house. During this period of time that you just described, like, do you know where your younger siblings are? Is that something that's on your mind? Um, I have no clue. You have no clue. Like, I haven't talked to them, but I know that I knew they were with their dad, but I didn't know anything else other than that. Were you concerned for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All that was on my mind during that time, too. Like, my brother and sister, like, that was my biggest worry. Mm-hmm. I got enrolled in school and everything, and then my sister was like, look, Taylor, we need to meet with mom. Like one time, like if you're not going to go home with her, you need to tell her like this is what you're going to do. And like, I'm not going to leave you alone, but you're going to talk to her. Mm -hmm. So I agreed to talk with her and we went to a restaurant that used to be um, called Estella's. Um, But I remember sitting in the restaurant with her and she just, my mom just smiled and acted like everything was great. And I like, I was just going to come home with her. And I was like, no, like I'm not, I'm not coming home with you. Like this is done. And my mom just kind of, started crying and she went into her whole, you know, her whole life is over now. Like she doesn't have my brother and sister. She started talking, like she talked about killing herself at mm-hmm. that time. She talked about how she wanted to like walk into the ocean and just never come back. And she said she had nothing left to live for. And I remember yelling at her and being like, what do you mean? You have three other children. Like, how can you just say your life is over now? Like, and I remember I was like, this isn't going anywhere. I'm done. Um, So that was actually the last time I ever talked to my mom. So I went to school, started at Durant, and um, within the first couple weeks or so, my social worker actually called me into his office and started talking to me, I'm guessing because I was coded like an unaccompanied minor Mm -hmm. or youth at that time. So I was not very trusting of him at all. So he would get like bits and pieces from me, but he never really got a whole story about my life. And so he did not push like he wasn't invasive like he just let me tell it as I wanted to or just ask me how I was doing and how school was Um, he was really just trying to support me in that way so my social worker he just continued to kind of build that rapport with me 
And then one day he called me and asked me if I'd be interested in a program. And he was like, just hear me out, just hear me out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and so he started to tell me about starting right now. And I was like, no way, like I'm not doing that. And so- What about it were you not interested in? I don't know, like I think I was just scared I also was like, there's no way my sister or my family is going to get behind this because my whole life we've had such a protective, serious, like, don't tell anyone anything, keep our secrets to ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't open up. So to me, this was the same thing, you know, that I've been taught my whole life not to do. Like, don't share anything. Don't tell about our family. Like, we keep it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. He kept... My social worker kept trying to talk to me, you know, and sort of whatever. And he's like, at least just meet with them, meet with them. So I agreed to do that. And at this time, I don't think he really even knew my story. Like he just knew that this might be a something that would work out or a good fit. And so I remember Miss Vicky came to my school mm-hmm. and Susan did as well. And they started asking me to tell my story and some questions. And I remember at the end, she asked me, Miss Vicky asked me, like, if I could have three wishes, what would they be? Um, and I remember my first one was about my brother and sister because, like, that was still just my world. Um, that, like, if I could be with them or, if, you know, if they could be with me. And um, and also college, being able to do that. Um, I stayed with my sister um, till right before summertime. It's hard when you have lived through something. And, like, my home life, living in that house mm-hmm. with my older sister – um, my other older sister actually moved in with us during my high school year and there was substance abuse there and there was drugs going on and, and there was times where I would leave that house and I'd go to my friend's house and I was sleeping in their house for, you know, days at a time because mm. there was fights about somebody's, you know, weed went missing and blaming each other and, and I, I never did drugs ever. I still haven't, not once. And I didn't drink at all till I was 21. Like, I was like, are you kidding me right mm-hmm. now? And like, there was just this blame game of everything, and I, I hated it. Like it was not, it was not healthy. Um, and then my sister moved, and she said I couldn't stay with her anymore. So mm-hmm. at that time, Miss Vicky did move me into an apartment with another SRN student. But I finished my year with my sister. Yeah, because we didn't have the transitional housing facility yet. So at that time, because you have been in the program a long time, at that time, many years ago, we would put our students in apartments mm-hmm. um, and support them while they were living alone. And I did join starting right now, December of 2011. You know that date. Yeah. Why is that an important date to know? Uh, it was right before Christmas. And I remember begging uh, at the time, one of the people that worked at starting right now to not make me go to the Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember it was right before that. And I was like, please don't make me do this. Like, Why didn't you want to I'm going to be so on un- Because I didn't know what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you had just joined. Just joined right before it. And so... Um, was it the idea of celebrating a holiday or just, just going the, to a party? A party, mm-hmm. standing there awkwardly, not knowing anyone. Like, I'm scared. You know, I don't even know what this really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do, but I don't. Yeah. And um, so I just remember that right before Christmas time. And it's funny because now I look forward to all of our Christmas parties and it's one of my favorite things. That's so, nice to hear. I mm-hmm. love that. So if you joined in 2011, that means you've been in the program for nine years. Or it was at the end of 2011, so. About eight, yeah. Yeah, about eight. Yeah. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. I've known you that long. Yeah. So what all did you get out of SRN? I don't even know where to begin with that question. Um, were, like, well, you were assigned a mentor. Yeah. yeah, I was given a mentor. Um, she's amazing. I love her to death. Her name is Janice. Um, I still see her all the time. And that's probably one of the greatest gifts that I was given was Janice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she definitely was there for me through high school. And I remember when I first met her, I was like, this is never going to work. <laughs> but um, we definitely, definitely built a beautiful relationship. Um, I was actually just with her like two weeks ago. She's included me in everything. She's made me feel like family. I celebrate a lot of holidays with her. I've mm -hmm. met all of her family. She's taken me with her to um, Rhode Island. Yeah, she's just always there no matter when I need her, and she's not going anywhere. So, Was there something that stood out about Janice that you knew you could trust her? Um, it took me a long time. Over time, you know, she showed that she cared. She mm -hmm. showed up to things. Um, one of the things that starting right now helped me with was that I really wanted to show a pig in the state fair. <laughs> and so I love animals. I always have. They actually helped me support that dream. So they helped me with getting feed every single, you know, week that I needed it. And my school um, let me keep the pig there. So, um, but one of the things that sticks out to me is that the day of my show mm -hmm. where I showed There's my- There's like a school program where you like- Yeah, I was thinking, where did you get this pig from? First? This is not crazy. I think we got it from like Ohio. What's the name of the program? Oh, FFA. FFA, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I was in every agriculture class that they had at Duran. I took ag mechanics, I took animal science, I, mm -hmm. anything you could think of. Um, but so on the day of my show at the state fair, I forgot my stick that you walk, your walking stick that you walk with the pig sure. um, to help direct them. And so like I called everybody in my house and nobody could bring me my stick. And so Janice went to my house and someone gave her the stick and she drove it to the state fair. <laughs> so like just, just things like that. Um, Did you win? I placed, I got a blue ribbon and a red ribbon. Nice. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, um, I think that was probably one of the starting points that I was like, wow, nobody else showed up. You know, but she came and she did that for me and she mm -hmm. did not have to. So it was just little things like that over time that she showed that she wasn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's it's amazing that eight years later, y'all still have a very close relationship. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And there, what mm -hmm. else should we talk about with regard to what Starting Right Now did? I did El Carnegie mm -hmm. um, with Jeff. And now I meet people in my adult life that actually talk about you know, Del Carnegie is like a company and that I actually just met somebody at work that was super excited because they were going to go through this training. And I was like, oh, I did that. And they're mm -hmm. like, you did what? And I was like, yeah, I did that like a really long time ago, but I did that. And they're like, how did you do that? And I was like, you know, so it's funny now as an adult to see these, um, you know, young professionals are searching for this class. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, then, I don't think this is something that, I mean, the kid, this, we say this, but the students don't really hear us sometimes. They don't believe us. When in it, but, <laughs> yeah, like Dale Carnegie is this professional training that people go yeah. through to learn how to present yourself, both mm -hmm. publicly and interpersonally. And people in the professional world use it to be a better employee. Like it is um, sought after, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. And our students, as almost unaccompanied youth in high school, are taking it. Mm -hmm. Are there skills that you use because of Dale Carnegie? Um, I think that it definitely taught me how to talk to people and how to carry a conversation. Then, you know, we told our stories in that class, and um, it definitely brought me closer to the people that were in my class for starting right now, like being able to hear their stories and to tell mine as well. It was mm -hmm. definitely, that day that we did that was definitely an emotional day. It always um, is. It always is. Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah, people stand up and share what they've been through and um, are really vulnerable and say some unthinkable things that have happened to them. and. And people are supportive and present, yeah, caring there. and mm -hmm. compassionate, and yeah, it's a very important day in starting right now every mm -hmm. year. When I think that class too, one of the things I remember from my interview um, with Miss Vicky and Susan was I think I went into it and I was like, I'm not homeless, by the way. Like, 
I'm not. So like, if that's a problem, I'm not homeless. Mm -hmm. But like being in Del Carnegie and hearing everyone's stories, like it helped me realize what that definition really meant. And that it wasn't just, oh, you're living, you know, on the streets or, you know, you're living on a park bench. Like that's not what the definition of homeless means, especially for our unaccompanied youth. Mm -hmm. So that cost also really helped me put that in perspective. That's a really great point. Yeah. Because it's not what I don't think in a lot of situations it's what people are imagining homeless is. Mm -hmm. Well, it's very confusing because there's an image painted of what homeless kids or people look like. And then we're saying, no, that's not you because you're living with your sister. So how is she this? It is confusing. Something that we didn't ask you previously is, well, I have a lot of questions. One is, um, do you have a relationship with your mom now? I do not. You do not. That conversation at Estella's was the very last one I ever had. Wow. Did you ever think of trying to find your dad? Because if he's paying your mom child support, I mean, he's somewhere. So the story with my dad is that he's married. Mm-hmm. And so when he met my mom, he was married. Mm-hmm. And so my mom and him got together. Um, supposedly it was just a couple time thing. And then boom, my mom got pregnant. And so he didn't want his wife to find out. And so my mom was essentially blackmailing him um, uh-huh. my whole life. Um, and so he paid my mom so that she wouldn't tell his wife. Oh my goodness. Um, so that was kind of the story with my dad. So no, I didn't ever at that point try to reach out. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did later reach out to him, um, when I was in 12th grade. So tell us how you ended up connecting with your father to find out that there was this whole backstory to him. I always knew where he lived. That was not a secret um, because my mom would get a check from him every month mm-hmm. um, and his name on it. I have his last name, um, but it had a P.O. box, so I didn't really know how to contact him um, other than my mom always told stories that he like owned a car dealership. Um, and so one day I started Googling him and I found his car dealership and I was actually at school in ag class with my friends and we were outside at the barn and... Um, I was talking about how I wanted to like call and be like, you know, hey, I ran away. Like, I don't live with my mom anymore. Like, you don't need to send her money, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I finally got up like the guts to do that. And I called him and the conversation was very uncomfortable. Um, I called and I was like, hi, can I please speak with, you know, my dad's name? And then he got on the phone and I was like, hi, this is Taylor. And then I just paused because I have his last name. And he was just like, okay, how can I help you? And then I just went, and I just started speaking and feeling everything that... You had never spoken to him before that? At that point, I had never spoken to him. And so I just was like, you know, I I said I left my mom, you know, that I was no longer living with her. Um, At this time, mind you, I was 18 Mm -hmm. also. So at the end of the conversation, he thanked me (laughs) um, for telling him. And I had asked him if he would be willing to send me child support instead because I wasn't living with my mom anymore. And so he actually said that he would he would do that, that he was okay with doing that. And so um, that was the end of the conversation. So we hung up the phone and he got my address and he said that he was gonna send me some money to help me and to support me. Um, Cause at this point I was paying rent to my sister to live there and I was also working, um, you know, and I had expenses and I didn't have healthcare. And so I had all these thoughts in my head and how was I gonna go to college? and how was I going to drive? How was mm-hmm. I going to get a car? I still don't have my license. So I just had all these thoughts and, you know, it was worth a shot, you know, if he'd be willing to. A couple of weeks later, um, he sent me a check in the mail 
I think it was like the day after or something, he called me and I didn't answer and he left me a voicemail and was like, I'm so sorry, Taylor. Um, don't cash that check. I had to cancel it. Um, your mom found out that I didn't send her the money and she's starting to tell my wife. So after he left that voice message, I called him back and I like talked to him about it and I was like, okay, I understand, you know, um, you know, and that was it. So then I talked to Miss Vicky once I was in the program. In the moment, did you know, um, I'm going to tell, she's going to tell my wife. Did you know what that meant? I did because my mom had always told me that I was a secret. And that he didn't want me. That was one of her things she loved to throw out there. That he had a family that was mm -hmm, a different family. Yeah, that he he wanted my mom to have an abortion um, and that he was married and he had this wonderful life with other kids as well and that his wife had no clue Mm -hmm. um, and that she wasn't going to know and he wanted to keep it that way and that he really didn't want anything to do with me. So once I got into starting right now, um, that was one of the things I talked to Miss Vicky about and she was actually able to help get a lawyer um, and work out some stuff with him that he would actually send me money in addition to what he was sending my mom. So he agrees <laughs> to pay you out through high school. Yeah. Well, he is forced to pay additional child support because- He didn't want to, a secret revealed. Yeah, he's either gonna do that or have a lawsuit filed against him and yes. then the secret would be revealed. Yes. Yeah. So that was the route he chose, but he still didn't want to have a relationship or anything with me. And that obviously, that must not feel good. Sad. I mean, it was definitely sad. Yeah. Um, now it's okay though, because mm-hmm. I've made a lot of peace with that. You know, it's his loss, not mine. That is true. I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does one make peace with that? I mean, a lot of therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've kind of been in therapy my, since I've been an SRN, like I, I'm still in therapy now. Like mm-hmm. that's something that I value, especially in my profession. I Kim love and it. I are both pro-therapy. I'm yeah. so pro-therapy. Mm-hmm. It has, yeah, it changed my life. So, I mean, um, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's been a long journey and there's still, you know, days I struggle with that. But for the most part, um, I have my peace. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely his loss 100%. Correct. So, so you you're in starting right now and you were getting supported through your graduation in high school. Were you planning on going to college? I didn't think it was possible. Um, you know, I always thought that if you didn't have your parents support you know Mm. you couldn't do anything till you're think like 25 or something that's when they finally didn't have to sign fafsa paperwork and all that i don't know that was what was in my head at the time but i knew it was going to be a long time before i ever could i knew i would eventually but Mm. i did not think right out of high school that that was in the cards for me whatsoever but miss vicky wanted me to dream big so um we started looking at different colleges and whatnot and i ended up going to saint leo university Yes, girl. <laughs> so I did my undergrad there, mm-hmm. um, and I graduated with a bachelor's in social work. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I decided to pursue grad school, and I got my master's degree from Florida State University, and I got a master's in social work. That's Rock exceptional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah. And what do you do now? Um, I'm actually a Hillsborough County school social worker at an elementary school. Yes, uh, giving back to the community that gave to you. Absolutely. And what is that like being a social worker in your own community? Um, I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's definitely cool, like being full circle. That like my social worker in high school is who referred me to starting right now. And now I'm in the same position where I could refer students to starting right now. But I think having my experiences in my life helped me to identify um, at the elementary school level 
children that are experiencing trauma or abuse, poverty, homelessness. I mean, it's on my desk every day Mm -hmm. Um, and I see it. So, and I wonder like, you know, these kids start at the elementary school level and they get older and older, but the signs were always there. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Um, And I think I totally believe that's true that you having the experiences in your childhood that you had makes you probably a more insightful and observational social worker who can like really have impact, Mm -hmm. which is what we need and yeah. Um, And I imagine it's probably, while still difficult, easy for these kids to open up to you because you can say like, I get it, I've been where you are. I mean, you talked about this a little bit just now, but how does it make you feel that you get to be for someone what someone was for you? Like this very important pivotal moment in your life that someone um, saw what you were going through in some way and referred you to the resources and now you get to be that for someone that's amazing. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Every day that I walk into work, it's just the best thing. Like I've never had a better job. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked as a case manager for child welfare. Um, I actually worked in a runaway shelter for teens and to be where I am now working for the school district, it's just the best job I've ever had. Every day, like I come to school, like you never know what's going to happen though. I mean, it's, it's neat to have my perspective and to be able to share it with my colleagues. A lot of them know my story, um, where I work, my, some of my principal and my assistant principal, they're all very supportive, um, Mm -hmm. of me. And I think that they put a lot of faith, um, into me being able to, like you said, like spot things or give it from a different lens or perspective from living it. I love that. It's important. Mm-hmm. And what about your younger siblings? Are yeah. they in your life? Absolutely. Did we talk about that? No, I was going to ask that. Okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, what happened with them? I mean, you don't have to go through all of it, but... It... Where are they now? Yeah. They live with their father still, mm-hmm. um, and they're in high school, and they're, um, they're doing great. My little sister is actually looking at colleges soon, which is so crazy. Nice. Yeah. Um, so she'll be the second one in my family to go to college, um, and I'm very excited for her. But they're both doing really good. Yeah, and you said earlier that your mother uh, dropped out after middle school. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, you're a first-generation college, high school uh, graduate and college graduate, and you have a and master's degree. And graduate, apparently. I mean, all of that is crazy <laughs> that you made it happen, even though it wasn't really modeled for you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to college. I had every, you know, drive for that. And so my education was important to me, but... I definitely didn't have great grades. I'll tell you that, um, like during those years. And it's funny, it's funny because once I started at Durant, my whole year, which I made up, you know, my previous year too, I had A's and B's the entire time. There was not a single bad grade. And it's funny looking back because like my freshman and sophomore years, I had D's, I had F's, like I had terrible grades. You were in transition constantly. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. funny to watch. It's not funny. It's it's obvious like what the support of people that love and care you care about you and meet your basic needs, like what a difference that makes to make you thrive. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and is there anything we didn't ask you that you want to talk say? about? There must be if you're thinking about it. I think, I think, well, I think one of the words that come to my mind is like the topic of shame, but I don't really know how to... In- to bring that in, like, just say whatever you think. Well, are you, you're wanting to talk about how it isn't, I'm asking, I don't want to put words in your mouth, how it's important to work through that shame or how shame can inhibit you? I think it's really hard to work through that. Like, I think that's something that I still kind of struggle with that just like, 
you know, I, I was I was driving here, like I started to think 10 years ago, I was a dropout, mm-hmm. you know, and now 10 years forward, graduated high school, got a bachelor's, got a master's degree, and like I love my job, mm-hmm. you know, and I love who I am and who I'm becoming. Um, but when I was going through this whole process of life, like that shame, that guilt, like the lack of self-confidence, you blame yourself, you blame you know, you don't know who to blame, but it's not fair Mm -hmm. to these kids. And it wasn't fair to me. Like, it's just hard to sometimes take all that trauma that you've been through. And even now as a young adult working through that, it never ends. Like it's a constant daily, you know, healing process. So I think that that's beautiful, but I also think that's really hard. I think that's such an exceptional point you're making because Mm -hmm. very early on into starting right now, it was very much educational and career focused. Our intention was to take homeless unaccompanied youth and make sure they were educated, which indirectly meant that they were employable, which meant that they had uh, income. Um, and which meant everything was better. <laughs> yeah, and, and we were doing that like effectively, like we were taking homeless unaccompanied youth and making sure later they had a steady job and income. And yet, even with that, there was a lot of things that made life difficult for that student. I mean, which is no different than anyone. I mean, it turns out that just having an income does not resolve all your problems, although it is certainly important. And because of that, starting right now, started incorporating other programming. It's like, it's why we have comprehensive programming. It's Mm -hmm. why we are very pro-therapy when the student is ready and why we have our after-school curriculum, which is a lot of group therapy and um, kind of working through trauma in Mm -hmm. different creative ways and um, the mentoring program. It's like there's so much that goes into making sure someone has a happy and full life. It takes a village. And a lot of work. (laughs) And a lot of work. And like you're saying, things don't just start and end, Um, which is why starting right now is indefinite. The program aims to be forever because... Mm -hmm. Healing takes forever sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we're happy to be on that journey with, with you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for sharing your story and for being in my life for the past eight years. It's been an absolute joy. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you're a high school student in Tampa Bay and do not have a stable home or you know someone in this situation, please contact your social worker about starting right now. This podcast is brought to you by Humana Foundation, Hillsborough Education Foundation, and WEDU. If you are listening and want to donate a service or funding or be a mentor, contact info at startingrightnow.org. Thank you.